Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're going to talk about something that can be helpful to all of us, no matter what situation we're in. Acting in a kind and loving way towards ourselves. Self-compassion. Self-compassion is about developing a kind and helpful relationship with yourself. It's the opposite of being harsh and even punishing yourself. Today you're going to get a chance to talk to an expert on self-compassion and learn how to develop it, Dr. Paul Gilbert. Paul is a professor at the Derbyshire Healthcare National Health Service Foundation Trust at the Mental Health Research Unit at Kingsway Hospital in the United Kingdom. Paul is the founder of something called Compassion Focus Therapy, and author of a couple of books, um, Compassion Mind and Mindful Compassion. And you can learn more about these books uh, and about Paul by looking on his homepage, which you can find by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Although Paul does not work directly with ACT, this therapy is what is called a fellow traveler with ACT. Developing self-compassion is very much in line with the three parts of ACT. One, opening up to the reality of this moment with whatever feelings, thoughts, or sensations that are present, no matter what I think about them. Becoming aware of the nature of the thoughts, feelings, and sensations, how they come and go. And while I have thoughts, feelings and sensations. I'm not, I am not them. And finally, actively engaging in valued directions, which in this case would be taking a loving stance and acting in a kind, compassionate manner towards yourself, even when you don't feel like it. Welcome, Paul. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you for inviting me. Paul, um, this is a very difficult area. I know that we have struggled to try to understand self-compassion. Um, so tell me what got you interested in this area. Um, well, um, really was trying to help people to become more compassionate to themselves. You know, When people are down and depressed, uh, they're often very critical. And they may even believe that being critical is good for them because it drives them on, it keeps them you know, going, uh, and so on. Do you, have um, any, do you have an example of that? Like, how, how what, what would a person do to, how would they motivate themselves by being critical? 
Well, they may say, you know, let's take a, a major problem that we have in Western societies, which is obesity mm-hmm. and uh, trying to lose weight, right? Yeah. So people try to lose weight and they go on diets or whatever it is. And then they find they don't lose the weight that they would like or they go to a party and they eat too much. And so they then look at themselves and think, oh, this is terrible. I'm disgusting. I can't control myself. I look ugly. I'm fat, blah, blah. Um, and that simply makes people very unhappy and very depressed and much more likely to eat. Yeah. So the, the key really is when things are not going well, things are going badly, like you're struggling with something like your weight, you know, how can you treat yourself in such a way that you're much more likely to be successful in your endeavors? Okay, so could you say, Paul, um, actually we've had a program on obesity and um, uh, Jason Lillies has used the word, you can't hate yourself thin. Exactly, that's it. <laughs> so you get, it. you get some short-term uh, uh, changes, but uh, it makes you feel bad when you hate yourself and it doesn't last very long. Right? The behavior research shows that that doesn't last very long. Exactly, that's absolutely right. Um, so it's, self-hating is an understandable uh, response to things we don't like. It's built into our brains. And in compassion focus therapy, we talk a lot about the way our brains are set up to feel certain things. How, what, do you, how does, what do you mean by that it's, uh, it's built in our brains? Well, many of your basic emotions for loving and hating are very, very old, and you'll see them in animals as well. So if you have pets, you can see that your pets uh, will respond to affection with uh, dogs wag their tails and so forth. But if you're cruel and unkind to them, then they will show threat responses. So the, our capacity for responding to uh, hatred, cruelty, and unkindness in contrast to kindness is built deeply into our brains, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we need to do is to learn how to tap into the things that help us feel good, help us feel better, help us to encourage and inspire us as as -hmm. opposed to those things that actually make us feel terrible and just want to crawl in a hole and disappear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so how how did you, so you were, when you got started, you were were, um, looking at, people who were depressed, and uh, and then what? Yeah, well, we were doing sort of cognitive things, you know, helping people stand back and look at their thoughts. Depressed people often feel worthless, inferior, and no good. Mm-hmm. So we were helping them reevaluate that, as you do in stand therapy. But what, what I discovered was that even while they were doing that, even while they were standing back and thinking, well, actually, maybe I'm not so bad, and maybe I have succeeded at this or that, the way in which they were thinking these things was still hostile. Mm-hmm. So it was still like, come on, you're doing cognitive therapy. Look at the evidence. Stand mm-hmm. back. Be realistic. Take a public perspective. <laughs> you fool. So, uh-huh. so he says to them, well, look, supposing you have those thoughts, but you, you create in your mind a really kind voice. Mm-hmm. As if somebody who really cared about you was saying to you, look, I know you feel a failure because you're depressed, but in reality... You know, you've achieved this and that. How would that be? Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of my patients looked at me quite blankly and said, I've never done that, and I don't think I could do that. Mm-hmm. That's weak. That's being soft. It's letting me off the hook. Mm-hmm. And other patients said, well, you know, I've never really experienced kindness in my life. And if I started to do that, it would just make me so sad. I, I would be overwhelmed. You know, Paul, that's something that I have also heard um, uh, when I uh, often start uh, with self-compassion in a session. Uh, uh, 
I think it seems like that is the most difficult thing a person could do. It's much, much harder than uh, exposing yourself to something you're afraid of, like a snake or a... It's, but, but to expose yourself to kindness, why is that so hard? Well, as th- this is the crux of compassion-focused therapy in some ways. The reason that it's so hard is because humans are basically the most social species on the planet from the day that you're born to the day that you die, the kindness of others will have an amazing impact on the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. We now know that even the, the love you receive as a child will even influence genetic expressions and the kind of brain that actually develops. Mm-hmm. Children who are, grow up in neglectful or harsh environments, they develop in different ways to children who grow up in loving environments. Mm-hmm. So we deep within us we have a very basic need and yearning for connectedness Mm -hmm. in fact there are whole religions that talk about the the deep desire for connectedness with the spiritual and so on Mm -hmm. so many of our patients really have lived their lives feeling the sense of disconnectedness Mm -hmm. of deep disconnectedness Mm-hmm. And so that they would, so that when you would be exposed to to compassion, like through a therapist, then th- then you would be maybe elicit this fear or fear of uh, that I of rejection or not connectedness. Exactly. There's 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 about three or four things here. One is actually, if you really got to know me, if you really knew what was going on in my mind, you wouldn't like me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I, if I if I drop my barriers and actually start to connect to you you may find out something about me that you don't like. Uh, And then I'm with somebody who doesn't really want to be with me because they found out things about me. That's one thing. That's a deep sense of shame. Mm -hmm. These individuals have often been shamed. As children, they've had parents who are supposed to love them but have done unpleasant things to them or called them unpleasant things. So that's based on a kind of experience from their history. Mm -hmm. Then another key issue is the fact, like, it's like if you go to the movies, right, and then you have this struggle with a mother who's lost her daughter. And right at the end of the movie, they sort of find each other and mm-hmm. <laughs> all the clean, you know, all the tissues come. Oh, my God, it's so sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a kind of, um, it is a sadness, but it's also a kind of an awareness, a connecting to to a deep sense of loneliness and a deep mm-hmm. sense of wanting connectedness that, make, that actually creates a real sense of sadness. So when you connect to your underlying feelings of loneliness, it really can be quite a sad, moving Situation and for mm-hmm. some people that can be quite a frightening experience. Mm-hmm. Paul, I was really interested in what you you started to say. I interrupted you about um, you were talking about how p- people actually the the texture, the feeling of of the way they were talking to themselves uh, when you got started. And I, I have I've never heard that before. Um, that's new for me. That that this what you have developed and when you're listening to the actual feeling rather than the content. So could you tell us about that? Yes, this was the big shock for me about 20, 25 years ago uh, of having one or two quite uh, chronically depressed people um, who were suicidal as well. And uh, this one person who had got a degree and had a family and everything, but nevertheless, she still felt completely useless and awful. She'd been adopted as a young child and that had left a real deep fracture in her heart of not being wanted, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, she was the first person that we started to work with in terms of, well, you know, let's look at your life in reality. Let's think about the struggles and how hard you worked to get your degree and how hard you worked to keep your family together. And she could see all that, you know. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, her way of thinking these things was still very harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was the first person, as I say, over 20 years ago, who we started to work with in terms of creating a kind voice. Mm-hmm. And she really didn't like it at all. <laughs> she mm-hmm. was very resistant. No, 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 I can't do that. No, 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 kindness is not, I don't deserve kindness. It's not good for me, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what happened was that we just kept going with generating a kind voice, imagining somebody very kind talking to you, saying exactly the same things as we'd come from the cognitive, you know, looking mm-hmm. at the evidence and all that. Um, and gradually, gradually, she began to soften and then the grief began and it opened up the enormous grief to the adoption and mm-hmm. and, and so on and so on. So we had to work through all of the grieving and then um, she recovered very, very well. So um, the interesting point is this, that if you do one thing, only one thing, right, it's mm-hmm. learning how to create a kind voice in mm-hmm. your head when you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating, Paul. Can you define for us what self-compassion means? It's so difficult to understand what it means. Well, there are different views about this um, um, of self-compassion. Our approach is to say that compassion has two basic psychologies to it, right? So we take the sort of Buddhist Dalai Lama approach, which is that compassion is sensitivity to the suffering of self and others, with a commitment to try and do something about it and prevent it. Mm-hmm. So the two psychologies here is turning towards, which of course in ACT terms is uh, uh, engaging with, allowing and accepting whatever is. Mm-hmm. So turning towards suffering as opposed to avoidance, closing down, running away, mm-hmm. be it in yourself or other people. And then the second psychology is then knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. So there's no point in just accepting suffering and sitting there suffering, suffering, suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to know what to do. Mm-hmm. So um, if you've broken your arm, you need to accept that you've broken your arm. But you also need to go to hospital and get it fixed. Yeah. So what is the wisdom then? What is compassion wisdom about what do we do when mm-hmm. we are suffering? Mm-hmm. So for us, compassion has these two psychologies. Now the next thing is that, so how do you, how do you pay more attention to suffering Okay, so that's important. So how do you tune into it? How Mm -hmm. do you learn to become tolerant of your distress? How do you get to a point of acceptance? How do you get to a point of non-judgment? So that's important, and Mm -hmm. that's about learning how to approach suffering step by step. Mm -hmm. So you you don't want to dive in at the deep end. It's like learning to swim. You want to start at the shallow end. So learning to accept our suffering, such as with depression or anxiety, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. is learning to be with that experience in the way the act might teach you, mm-hmm. step by step. Mm-hmm. So we don't want people to be overwhelmed by suffering, but at the same time engage it in a way that they feel able to tolerate it mm-hmm. and learning how to tolerate it a little bit more each time. Mm-hmm. The second thing is learning how to understand it. So what is this suffering about? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's an empathic connectedness to mm-hmm. one's suffering. Well, actually, I think it's because of whatever it's of. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are very important qualities of 
turning towards and engaging Mm -hmm. with suffering as opposed to trying to get away from it, stop it happening, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever. So it's it's a sort of a a, a opening up and approaching um, what what happens to me when I attempt to to take steps that are kind um, that the suffering of this what you were talking about the possible disconnectedness and pain that uh, from learning history that opens up finding up a, a space for that. Yes, exactly. I mean, the key thing really is recognizing the important role of kindness when we have to do something that's difficult. When we need courage, kindness is important. If you have to go to see a doctor because of a possible cancer diagnosis, having somebody go with you who you feel uh, loves you and cares about you is going to be a lot better than going by yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, Going to a party where you don't know anybody is going to be a lot easier if you can go with a friend than going by yourself. So we know then that turning towards suffering is difficult. It requires us to have courage, right? And the thing that you need to go into your suffering with is an inner state of kindness. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you go into suffering with an inner state of criticism and hostility and hatred, then you're really going to be in trouble. It's like going to hospital when you have to face a cancer diagnosis and having a very critical person sitting next to you saying, what's the matter with you? It's <laughs> cancer, for God's sake, stop being stupid. You know, that would be horrible, wouldn't it, right? Yeah. But we carry that voice in our head. You know, we actually, people hang on to these horrible voices in their heads, you know. Mm-hmm. Paul, you know something that I, uh, I'm sure you have heard many times, but, uh, uh, you know, I live in Scandinavia and uh, sometimes I think self-compassion seems to be confused with other things that um, that people are quite negative about. For example, um, egoism. Um, there's a lot of talk that you know, pe- you know, a commercial like L'Oreal because you're worth it. It it, it seems to be confused with consumption. Uh, what what do you say to people when? Uh, this kind of confusion that our commercial world creates. Well, I think it's a very important point you make. And, I mean, one of the perhaps more differences between uh, my approach and and what you were saying earlier in the program is this issue of love, right? Now, love is a tricky concept when it comes to compassion. Mm -hmm. If we take compassion simply as turning towards suffering and doing what you can to relieve it, Mm -hmm. love doesn't really come into that. Mm -hmm. For example... The easiest people to have compassion for are the people you love. Mm. The hardest people to have compassion for are the people you don't. Mm-hmm. And so hard compassion, this ability to really help those you don't like, that is strong compassion. That's courageous compassion. There's nothing soft about that, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that we have much experience that shows that if we do this, if we are kind to people that we don't like very much, mm-hmm. then the chances are that actually things between us improve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. A very good example, actually, was that after the war, mm-hmm. uh, in Germany was completely destroyed, mm-hmm. but the Americans had what they called the Marshall Plan, and they pumped a lot of money into Germany to build her up again. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was really sort of, if you like, a helpful and compassionate response to a defeated enemy. Mm-hmm. Okay, And as a result of that, Europe was rebuilt and there will never be another war in Europe. So helping people who you have at one time been enemies with and building them up actually 
really does sort out mm-hmm. a lot of problems. Now, if we just took that one lesson that we have, we know this. We've done it before. We've done it in 1945, same with Japan, right? Mm-hmm. We know that this is a way in which we can help um, countries flourish and then they're no longer our enemies. Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, we treat them as the way you were talking about earlier, we want to be better than them, superior to them, keep them down, threaten them, all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. then we're going to have more trouble. So compassion is its about courage. It's about wisdom. You've mm-hmm. got to be sensible about this, obviously. And it's about... Um, Working with the hard areas of compassion, not the easy ones. Mm. Compassion for your children and for people you love is easy. That's okay. The hard areas of compassion are for the people you don't and the things you don't like about yourself. Now, if you can be compassionate for the things you don't like about yourself, mm. now we're really talking about strong, courageous compassion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing that people say, oh, well, it's about letting us off the hook. Well, of course, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um so, for example, supposing you say, well, how can you be compassionate to a murderer or something like that? Mm. Well, the, the point about it is, is that that person will go to jail or whatever the law requires of that person. But the key thing is not to then engage in hatred. Mm-hmm. The key thing is to wish for that person that has caused that to, that has caused him to be like that. May that cease. Mm. So you, your compassion is to recognize that this person has a brain which has caused terrible harm to others, and that your compassionate wish is for that to end, for that, mm-hmm. s- mm-hmm. whatever's going on inside of him to end, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about saying, oh, well, I'm compassionate, you know, here's a ticket, go to the Bahamas, have a nice time. It's, it's, <laughs> not, it, it's, it's not that at all. So it's, it's making clear that compassion is the reduction of hatred, it, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. at the same time, having compassionate courage and compassionate action means in the case of a murderer, for example, then you do need to go after them and put them in jail, of course. So, mm-hmm. But not out of hatred. It's mm-hmm. out of protection for other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that seems to be built on a, an important uh, view of human beings, that um, if, if, um, if we are compassionate in the long run to people who are having a lot of trouble, it's, it's um, an assumption that we are all the same and that we are all basically the same, even if people are acting out. And we can maybe, I'm thinking of Nelson Mandela when he treated his um, prison guards with kindness. Yeah. And they had to keep changing them because uh, they, were not, they were not able to treat him harshly. Exactly. That's a, that's a wonderful uh, that's a wonderful example. I mean, another example we can give is look. Supposing your child wants a second hamburger, beef burger, and uh, you know this is very bad for them. And then they say, oh, you know, mommy, I want a second hamburger. Give me a half. Well, everybody else is having two hamburgers. Why won't you let me have two hamburgers? The compassion of the position is to say no and to cope with your child's anger. Mm. The non-compassion is to give in because you feel bad or you feel guilty. Even in your heart, you know it's not good for them to have two hamburgers. Uh, you, you give in. So the point about compassion is often this courageous position of holding to uh, your values, which is, again, a, a really important aspect of ACT. So compassion helps you hold to your values, and that sometimes that means putting boundaries down, saying no, and doing tough things. Mm. That's really important, Paul. Paul, could you explain uh, 
you know, there are a lot of different words um, that are confused, like self-esteem, self-confidence, uh, self-worth. Could you explain the difference between these things? Yes. I mean, the, so the first thing is that self-compassion, right, and compassion in general is not about a weakness. It's mostly actually about courage. Another example, for example, would be, you know, if you see a child caught in a house that's burning, so you rush in. I mean, at that point, you're not experiencing kindness or, you know, um, soothing, soothing or a state of inner peacefulness. You're, you're experiencing panic, right? Mm -hmm. But the panic, because it's focused on the prevention of suffering to another, is what turns it into compassion. So you rush into the building and at, at risk to yourself, you rescue the baby. So compassion is... It's very much about the sensitivity to suffering. Now, self-esteem is not about mm -hmm. sensitivity to suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, self-esteem is about how you build a sense of competency and control within yourself. Mm -hmm. There's not, nothing bad about this, mm -hmm. but um, it's about how you compete in the world. Mm -hmm. Self-esteem is very much linked to how you're doing compared to other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, that's fine, provided it's balanced. But if it isn't balanced, then self-esteem can become quite seriously problematic because mm -hmm. people can only feel good if they're achieving all they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, you could say I've got self-esteem, but uh, I can easily lose it if I start failing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the other thing is confidence. Now, confidence is interesting because confidence really has two types of meaning. One is the meaning that I'm confident to do this because I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And the other meaning is I'm confident to do this because even though I don't know what I'm doing, I'm happy to cope with the anxiety and learn. Mm -hmm. So confidence to learn in an area that you're not confident, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's the true issue of confidence. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if you're only confident when you know what to do, <laughs> right, then you're never going to do anything. So <clears throat> confidence is the confidence to be unconfident. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's useful. Paul, do you, um, maybe we haven't you haven't really defined for us. Tell us what compassion focused therapy is. Okay. Well, compassion focused therapy is focus. The word is is the, the focused is important. So, for example, the uh, ideas that you gave about ACT in terms of learning to be present to the present moment experience. Um, what we would argue is that if you can contextualize this within a compassionate context mm -hmm. so whatever comes up you always to the best of your ability hold it kindly recognizing that you never built the brain that's given you all this trouble uh, mm -hmm. you never mm -hmm. chose the your early history which might be giving you a lot of trouble if you hold it kindly this is going to be more effective <clears throat> so take for example behavior therapy you're helping somebody with agoraphobia go out and face their anxiety. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the day is calm and you're going to take them from the front door down the road a little bit and they're really anxious and they don't want to go. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> we would argue that if you as a therapist treat them very kindly, you have a kind voice, kind facial expressions, uh, but also uh, an ability to gently push them when they need to, mm -hmm. this is going to be important. So you don't want to be critical or harsh or indifferent to them. Your, your, the compassion that you bring to their problem is very important. And secondly, if they themselves 
create a kind voice in their head. So every step of the way, they're able to say, look, you know, this is difficult, but I'm doing pretty good, and I, I can cope with this anxiety, and I'm just going to, you know, they learn to have a kind voice. Mm-hmm. Again, they're going to cope with it much better than if they have a critical voice that's saying, oh, my God, you're getting out of control, you stupid person. Why are you getting in such a state? Nobody else gets in a state, only you. It's because you're an agoraphobic, you're a neurotic, you're ridiculous, you are. <laughs> so the, the point is that many of our patients have this hostile critical dialogue going on in, in their heads all the time, mm-hmm. and that undermines their efforts to be courageous. But if they learn how to su- be supportive, kind, gentle, encouraging, uh, they will actually go get go better. So the the therapy is the same exposure. You got to expose yourself to what you're frightened of. You can't avoid it. Mm-hmm. But the way in which you do it is crucial. Mm. Could you give do you have an example of that, Paula? I mean, how do you teach to, uh, this developing of a kind voice? Um, oh, that's a great question. <laughs> okay. Well, um, the, the, there are a number of ways in which we can do this. One way is we help people to uh, pay attention to their bodies and body states. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we might um, teach them how to slow the breathing down. Mm -hmm. Because when we slow the breathing down and go at about five to six breaths per minute, breathing slightly deeper and slightly slower than we would normally, Mm -hmm. we bring on what is called the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. Now, the parasympathetic nervous system has a, quite a big role to play in feeling safe and feeling calm. Mm-hmm. And it's the system that's activated often when people are kind to you and mm-hmm. calm you down, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we will just help them spend a moment or two <clears throat> gradually imagining, uh, gradually practicing this concept of slowing, mm-hmm. becoming centered in the body. Mm-hmm. Simply by slowing the breath down to about five or six breaths per minute, Mm-hmm. And really, with each out-breath, because the out-breath is the key, is the feeling of slowing down, slowing down. Mm-hmm. So then we would say, okay, we're now going to show you how changing your voice tones and your facial expressions produce subtle changes in your body. So we'd have them sitting there doing the breathing, and then we'd ask them to have a neutral face for about five or six minutes, mm-hmm. uh, five or six breaths, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um or maybe less, and then create a friendly facial expression mm-hmm. where we drop the jaw slightly and have a slight smile mm-hmm. and imagine that we're with somebody that we really care about and we're enjoying being with. Mm-hmm. So we'll do that for three or four or five breaths and then mm-hmm. we'll go back to neutral face and then we'll go back to friendly face and neutral face. So basically you discover then that actually when you deliberately change facial expressions, you can create a slightly different emotional texture in the mm-hmm. body, right? Mm-hmm. So the next thing then is, so we're now slowing the breath, creating a point of calmness and stillness in the body. Mm-hmm. We've now got our facial expressions. And the next thing is to say hello to ourselves mm-hmm. on the out-breath. So if I was doing the exercises, it would be saying, hello, Paul, as I breathe out. And so what we do is we have a neutral face, mm-hmm. but we also have neutral voice. Mm-hmm. So we say, hello, Paul, or hello, Paul, in the neutral way. Mm-hmm. And then after five, uh, four or five breaths, we will have the friendly face. And this time we will practice saying hello in as a kind and a gentle a voice as we can. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
mm-hmm. and just practice the the, the set. What what is, what is your kind voice talk like? What does your kind voice sound like? If you were talking to somebody you loved and you wanted to be helpful, what would your voice actually sound like? What would mm-hmm. the pace be? What would the tone be? So we get people to focus on just practicing going from a neutral voice to a kind and friendly voice. Mm-hmm. So we now got three things going for us. We've got the body slowing. We've got facial expressions and we've got voice tones. Mm-hmm. And so we then invite people to practice that on a regular basis mm-hmm. so that whenever they are feeling upset or distressed with themselves, they do the breath, they create a very slight smile, mm-hmm. they remember that this is not their fault, right? That nobody mm-hmm. chooses to be depressed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they create a friendly, this friendly voice tone. Oh, I I like that, Paul. I think I love the simplicity of that, that that could be used really for uh, anyone in in any situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Paul, we are coming to that. We've come to the end of the program. Um, We have listeners, um, I'm sure, that need a good dose of self-compassion. What advice could you give our listeners of what they could do? Yes, I think the key thing really is to recognize that what goes on in your mind really affects your body. The easiest way of describing this is, for example, if you lay in bed and you imagine erotic fantasies, you'll do things in your body. Now, that's, you know, schoolboy or schoolgirl joke, but the key issue is that the, what you are imagining, what you are creating in your mind, is stimulating an area of your body called your pituitary, which will release hormones into your body and give you the effect, right? Everybody kind of recognizes that. Mm-hmm. What it means is that your mind and your imaginations and your thoughts are literally playing and stimulating different systems in your body all the time. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be very careful about what we allow to play on in the mind. So while acceptance is important, um, it's also important that we learn to Uh, train our minds to focus on things that are going to stimulate systems in our brains and bodies which are going to be helpful to us and we know there is absolutely no question about this now that kindness either from ourselves or from other people which isn't about sort of you know soft or stuff but genuine uh, courageous kindness stimulates areas of your brain and body which are very conducive to calming down and well-being so if we train ourselves every day to focus on how we can be kind to ourselves, how we can be kind to others, and to notice the kindness of others, no matter how small, then we're going to be training our brains, stimulating systems in our heads and in our bodies that are going to help us feel better. But it takes time. We have to train. Thank you so much, Paul, uh, for being on our program today. Thank you for that great advice. Thank you for asking me, Joanne. That was a delight. You've been listening to Dr. Paul Gilbert. Uh, Paul is a professor at the Derbyshire Healthcare National Health Service Foundation Trust at the Mental Health Research Unit at Kingsway Hospital in the United Kingdom. Uh, Paul is the founder of um, a new therapy called Compassion Focus Therapy, which is a fellow traveler with ACT, and he is the author of uh, two books, one which is out now and which which is coming, uh, The Compassionate Mind and Mindful Compassion. And you can read more about these books and about Paul and his research by looking at his homepage, which you can find by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today. 
Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.